Uh, all right, so hey, we are finishing up this series. I am excited about this series. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and before we get started, can you guys help me welcome all the people watching online? We are so glad that you are with us this morning. We're excited for what God's doing through you. Make sure you say in the chat that you're joining us. Hey, we made it to the big stage. We're not out in the North Foyer this week. How about this? Uh, we're excited about this series. We are wrapping up Who Do You Think You Are? Uh, the first week of this series, uh, Dr. Scott Rainey led us off talking about You Are Called. Uh, the second week, Pastor Kalen Vogelman talked about You Are Equipped. Pastor Alex, for the past two weeks, has talked about You Are Enough and You Are Ready. And we get me every week. We are slowly dropping the bar. So here we are, folks. Uh, we are going to talk about you are becoming. And today's message comes out of uh, Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 24. I want you to stand with me in honor of God's word. Uh, it's a lengthy chapter, but you have trained all your life for this moment. I believe in you. So here we go. It'll be up on the screen. Just follow along with me. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge of the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who will come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. Have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all of these people will go home satisfied. Hey, before you sit down, look at your neighbors and say, I am leading, and then you can sit down. So today we are going to continue on in our journey with Moses as he grows as a leader. And it's a continual journey. And I want to make sure that you recognize that I am intentionally using the word continual. Because if you know anything about leadership, you believe and you understand that we're constantly growing as a leader. And that's what we see here in Moses. Now, before you get your phone out and start scrolling Facebook or decide that it's good for about a 25-minute nap because I said leader and you said, that's not me, I don't have anything to hear today, I need you to hear this. It is my conviction, it is my belief that every person in this room and watching online is leading someone. Oftentimes, we like to believe that leadership comes from being a boss of employees. That's not the only way to lead, but you're a leader. Some of you lead at work. Some of you lead ministries here at Westchester. But all of us lead at home. You lead your spouse. You lead your kids. You lead your grandkids. And you lead your friends. 
You are leading someone, and we recognize that leading is a journey. So my hope today is that you understand that leadership is not a destination, but it's a journey. It's something we're constantly growing in. So much so that I want to share a quick story with you. When I was 22 years old, I was a sales, a retail sales associate, and apparently I was doing pretty well. So my boss's boss came to me one day and said, hey, we want to promote you to a retail store manager. Thank you. (laughs) And whatever that means, I heard two things. I heard pay raise, and I heard a new name tag that said manager under it. That's what leadership looked like to me, that I'd made it. I was 22 years old, I'd made it. I didn't necessarily brush my teeth twice a day at 22. I didn't have any responsibilities, but I was a manager. That's what leadership looked like. And about a month after being in that position, my boss's boss came to me, now my boss, and said, hey, uh, I wanted you to get your feet under you. But one of the things about coming to this location is that they were a little bit underperforming. And what we need you to do is we need you to coach them out. For those of you not familiar with what business lingo is, that means fire them. We need you to let half of this team go. I don't know if you heard me say I was 22. I had no idea what it meant to coach anybody, to train anybody, to develop people. I certainly had no idea what it meant to fire someone when everyone there was older than me. I had to learn real quick that with being a leader, with my name tag that said manager, comes responsibilities that I have to grow into to understand how to do well and how to be effective in my leadership. And that's what we find here in Moses. Uh, we are going to jump in back into the scripture here. We see that Moses has learned a lot of things. He's done some really cool things. He's talked to a burning bush. He's delivered people out of Egypt. He's been a part of some really cool things, but he's still growing as a leader. And, and when, we do, when we see that, we can see that even as I was in a position of leadership, that's not the destination. Moses hasn't reached his destination, and it gets brought to his attention from his father-in-law. And those of you know, the father-in-law always has the answers. So he helps Moses out here. And that's, that's where we go. Back into verse 13, we're going to find out the first thing about being a leader that he learns is that great leaders recognize their weaknesses. And that's what Moses learns. He learns his weaknesses. In verse 13, it says, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge to the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw that Moses was do what he was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties to inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Jethro says, what you are doing is not good. Now see, Jethro didn't come to him and just do like as our kids do when you're in the middle of something. What are you doing? What are you doing? Tell me about what's going on. No, he gives it a little bit differently. Husbands, you can relate to this. So, you know when you're trying to be helpful and you're filling the dishwasher and you got it like looking like Tetris, like everything is exactly where it should go and you can get two loads into one and you're just really, really good at that. 
But then you feel a presence over your shoulder. And you look up, and it's your wife looking at you, and it's not the, what are you doing? It's the head tilt, the squinting eyes, what are you doing? (laughs) Very clear here, Jethro's saying the same thing, what are you doing? I appreciate you being proactive and helping here, but what you're doing doesn't help you. It's not making you effective as a leader. It's that kind of what are you doing that helps Moses to recognize what he's doing is not effective and it's not going to be sustainable. So he recognizes his weakness. And the good news is, is he becomes teachable. If we skip out of our um, scripture tonight to verse, or, or today to verse 24, it says, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So not only does he recognize his weakness, but he's teachable. That's the mark of a good leader, recognizing your weakness and being teachable. How many of you ever heard of uh, the working genius test? Anyone? A few of you. So a a working genius test is, um, there's tons of tests out there that as an employee, uh, you can kind of, you can take these tests and it kind of helps you to understand what you're good at. Um, the things that give you energy, the things that get you excited. Um, And then unfortunately, they point out very bluntly what you're terrible at. And uh, we as a staff have done this about a year or two ago. And before I tell you what my weakness is, I need to prop myself up a little bit and give you my strengths because you're going to get real judgy in a second. So my my strengths, I've got three of them, just saying. Uh, But one of them is why my working genius is that I love invention, Which means when we come into a meeting as a staff and somebody writes on the whiteboard uh, a problem, a process, a strategy, and says, we've got to figure out how to make that better. I love those meetings. I am all about it. I am ready to take notes. I'm ready to give ideas that probably won't stick. I love being a part of those meetings. Another one of my strengths is I'm a galvanizer. Perhaps you recognize this about me. Things that I'm passionate about, I get really passionate about. So I love having a process. We get this invention. We get this idea together. And then when we need to send somebody to get people excited about it, I'm your guy. I love getting people excited about something and getting them on board to do something. I'm a galvanizer. But my weakness is I'm weak at tenacity. Somebody said, ooh. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I say. Tenacity in this context means that once we get the ball rolling on something, it's not my favorite thing to be tethered to for a long time. My wife will be the first one to tell you that uh, I love getting excited about things, and then I get them going, and then I get bored. I get bored real easily. Uh, Ironically enough, uh, that came to light this week. I was off this past week and I had a whole list of to-dos and things to do. And uh, I started working through them and I said, I'm gonna go tackle this one here that says I need to repaint this wall. So I started painting and halfway through it, I texted my wife and I said, I forgot how much I hate painting. (laughs) There'll be a half a wall that needs to be painted when you get home. So I gave up on it because I got bored. I hate doing those things. They don't give me life. But what I have learned is in my weakness of not wanting to stick with things and work and do that, I've learned that through my galvanizing of people, when I'm gathering a team around an idea, I specifically have to look for people that love to do the day-to-day grind 
of getting things done. Pastor uh, Teresa is great at that. She is full of tenacity. If you give her an idea, boom, she's going to roll with it and she'll do it until we don't do it again. So I have to surround myself with Pastor Teresa's whenever I have an idea because I need somebody who's going to see it through and keep going when I get bored. So recognizing my weaknesses, and that's what, what Moses recognizes, is he's got people standing here from morning till evening, and Jethro comes to him and says, this isn't sustainable. You can't do it this way. You're just going to wear yourself out. So, he, so Jethro gives him an idea on how to do it. His next piece that he learns is that great leaders learn to delegate. Where are my micromanagers at? More in second service. This half of the room is lying, just so you know. The people who say, I need, if I want something done, I've got to do it myself. If it's going to be done right, that's me. I got to go with it. That's where we struggle with delegation is trying to understand that in order for us to be sustainable in what we're doing, we have to delegate. And delegation helps us to achieve growth. Now, immediately, the first thing you think is that we're going to achieve numbers growth. And that is true. In your workplace, when you delegate, you give people the opportunity for promotions. And within ministry, when you delegate, you allow people to step into what God's calling them to do achieves spiritual growth, where we allow people opportunities to see what God's calling them to do. Delegation creates growth. Now, what I love so clearly in verse 18 through 22 here is I'm going to jump to uh, verse 22, um, where Jethro, or I'm sorry, verse 20, where Jethro says, here's what you got to do, Moses. You got to teach them you got to teach them God's decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. And then select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest game, appoint them as officials over hundreds, thousands, and tens, and then have them serve as judge, judges. And when there's an issue, when there's a big issue, bring to you, but for everything small, let them handle it. So he gives them a very clear, gives Moses a very clear picture of what it means to delegate. And here's what the blueprint is. He says, select, train, and give them authority. In order to be effective in delegation, you have to select people, you have to train people, and then you have to give them authority. I don't know about you, but I have read a lot of leadership books. But perhaps the greatest leader to ever live Use something very similar to this, right? Jesus. He selected his men. He trained them. And then he gave them authority to go change the world. And that's what Jethro is telling him here is he says, if you want to be sustainable and you want to be effective as a leader, you have to be able to delegate this. Now, what this means, and it has multiple contexts to me, perhaps you can see it, is as leaders, when we delegate, we've got to be willing for it to not be exactly the way we want it to be. Pastor Greg Rochelle tells it in a great way when he talks about, as in his early ministry, how hard it was for him to delegate. He says, we as people like to believe that we do things a 10 out of 10. That's not true. <laughs> but we think we do. We perform at a 10 out of 10 all the time. 
But what he says is when you give someone the keys to do something, you've got to be okay with it being a 7 out of 10. That it may not be as good as you would have done it. And, and what that looks like in my context often, uh, even as a parent, is sometimes as parents and in our lives at work and here in ministry, when people don't do it the way you would do it, that's okay because they're growing. As a parent, sometimes I have to be okay if I want my kids to learn how to clean. It's probably, well, it probably will be as good as I do. But sometimes if I, if I want to teach them to learn how to clean windows, I got to be okay with streaky windows. As a leader, when you delegate opportunity to someone, you have to be okay with streaky windows because they're learning, they're growing, they're learning how to be a leader and they, they get that growth that we are giving them. Pastor Craig Rochelle talks about uh, another thing that becomes uh, an issue um, when you don't delegate well. You show people that you don't trust them to carry the load. As leaders, we should always trust the people that you select, that you train, and you give authority to. Another thing that happens when you don't delegate is burnout. Oftentimes, I have conversations with people and I see it where incredibly gifted leaders have burnout. Why? Because they're not delegating well. They, they haven't trained people. They haven't given people authority to go. And, and they get frustrated. They get annoyed. They don't feel like they're supported. And I'll even use the word bitter. And in our context, as people called within our own lives, within our own families, and the people you lead, oftentimes we have to be willing to give up some power in order to not get burned out in what God's called us to do. Because we have called, we have selected the people to help us do ministry, have selected the people that you chose as your spouse to walk through life in. It's okay to give up some of that control. I love in 1 Peter uh, 5, 2, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Let me give you the Rick Beaver's version of that. You are called to be shepherds over God's people, not because... You've got to, but because you get to. You see, when we change our focus from what God has called us to do to be leaders at our work, to be leaders here within the church, and to be leaders at home, God's called you, and you get to do that. It's not a got to, it's a get to. And when we do, it says in that scripture that you'll be eager to do it. When we understand that leadership is something that we are called to, and trust me, I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. Sometimes I go, God, are you sure this is a get-to situation? I wasn't expecting this to be family worship, but here we are. Uh, but I get to. God has called me. He has equipped me. He reminds me I'm enough and that I'm ready because that's what he's called me to lead because I get to do that. And then I get to be eager about it. And when we're eager to do something, we find one of my favorite things about leadership. 
Great leaders celebrate people. Oh, I could preach about this for 40 minutes, but I won't. Great leaders celebrate people. What an incredible opportunity that we have to celebrate people when we lead them. And I just think that oftentimes there's this bar that we are afraid to make ourselves vulnerable enough to praise people when we're not necessarily sure that they deserve it or not. We are called to celebrate people. In verse 23, it says, if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Isn't that our ultimate sign of growth as leaders is when the people we lead can stand the strain, can withstand the tough things that life throws at them. And more importantly, that they're satisfied with the life they have and where they are serving and what they're a part of. That's huge. As Christians, we are called to be people's cheerleaders. We are people's champion, just like God is your champion. God cheers you on every day. We are fortunate enough that we get to come into this building week after week and be reminded that God is cheering you on. Look around at the empty chairs in this room. There are people that do not step in this room that need to be reminded that God is cheering them on, regardless of where they are. And we cheer people on not when they get to the finish line. We cheer people on in the middle of their race. How many of you have ever ran a marathon? These are my people here. I like this. I have no idea what it means to run a marathon. Let's just be real clear. But I've done some research. When marathon organizers are planning the route for a race, they strategically put groups of people throughout the race to cheer people on. And when people are running 26 miles, I haven't walked 26 miles in my life, I don't think. <laughs> when they're running 26 miles, they need it because it keeps them going on. We've got a few people here, and I don't think they're here today. It's probably because they thought I would talk about them, and I am. But they have just recently ran the flying pig. And I reached out to them, and I said, hey, number one, why run that long? Number two, talk to me about what it means to you to have people cheer you on. These are direct quotes. It helped me remember the goals I set for myself on the run and made me want to maintain them because I was a part of something bigger that meant a lot to the other runners and to the people who came out to show support. Another person said, just because, or I'm sorry, just knowing that your loved ones are there in the crowd, crowd is so helpful. Sometimes I don't see them, but I know they are there, thinking of me, watching my progress, and cheering me on. This especially helps when I want to stop and when I'm on a stretch with no crowd and it's just me, my thoughts, and my physical pain. I think of those people in the crowd that are cheering me on even when I can't see them. Now, I know I'm giving you direct quotes about running, but I need you to be creative with me for a minute. All of this is true about the people you cheer on. There are people in your life, at your work, in ministries here at church, and in your families 
that are running their race. They're on a stretch where there's physical pain. It's only their thoughts and no one's around. Your cheering of people on, your support, your encouragement, they can hear it. Just like us that are here and online, we know when God's cheering you on, when God's encouraging you. This is your opportunity to cheer people on so that when they run their race, they hear your voice to keep going. When we cheer people on, we give people the courage to continue their race, regardless of how difficult it is. When we celebrate people, we lead them into the incredible opportunity of seeing themselves as God sees them. Every time we cheer someone on and we celebrate the goodness of what's going on in their life, every time we should be pointing it back to God's goodness and God's faithfulness in their life. Every time. Because oftentimes we are the front line. We are the people that they need. Because if the relationship with God is not there, who else is going to do it? When you cheer people on, you create a ripple effect in their life. Good news is when you create a ripple, it's not up to you to decide how big that wave is or how far that wave goes. That's not up to you. That's up to God. But if enough people sitting in this room and watching online decide that we will celebrate people and the wins they have in their life all the time, imagine the amount of ripples we have in people's life. It's an incredible opportunity that we have when we help people to celebrate the potential that God has for them and what God has called them to do. You see, being a leader is a process. We see that with Moses. He's learning. He could have stopped. He could have said, hey, I've led people. I've achieved everything I'm supposed to achieve. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I'm done. Thankfully, God wasn't done with him. You see, God didn't call Moses to become a leader and then stop. God didn't call you to lead your people at work and not have an effect on their lives. God didn't call you to lead a ministry or be involved in a ministry here and not put a fire in your heart to change the world. God didn't call you to be a parent to decide, praise God, you've given me this blessing. I've done all I can do. Your job as a leader always goes. Your job is not done here. See, we have spent five weeks being reminded on the screen about you are called, you are equipped, you are enough, you are ready, and you are becoming. That's what God's calling you to. And as a leader, the good news is it doesn't just stop at the end of this month and then we go on our way and we never talk about this again because in every moment you're in, God will continue to remind you, you are called, you are equipped, you are enough, you are ready, and you are becoming. And he'll do it again, and he'll do it again, and he'll do it again. You see, when we continue our walk and we continue our leadership, We're faithful to what Pastor Alex said a couple weeks ago. Do you recognize that God has one plan to win the world? One plan. It's right here. It's us. God can't afford for you 
Whether you're 16 and you're saying, I'm just a kid, I don't know anything about leadership, I don't know how to lead people. Yes, you do, because all of the things that we talk about happens at 16. If you're 95, I've raised my kids, raised my grandkids. They're in church, they're doing everything they should do. I'm done. God can't afford for you to do that. You're God's only plan. You have work to do. You are still leading people. You are still pushing people to what God's potential is for their life. You see, there's a reason that when Pastor Dan was talking about the gentleman who walked up to him and said, Pastor Dan, God's not done with you yet. There's a reason he got emotional in that. Because as great of a man as Pastor Dan is, after 40 plus years of ministry, he still needed to be reminded, God's not done. So the bad news is this. We've spent five weeks spending time talking about this series. God's not waiting for you to answer the question, who do you think you are? He's not waiting for that. He's waiting for you to recognize that you are who he says you are. And it is my goal this morning that through five weeks, this is not just fluff. This isn't just stuff for you to do on a Sunday morning. This is huge stuff for you to recognize that you are called, that you are equipped, that you are enough, that you are ready, and that you are becoming. Because as a leader, you're always leading someone somewhere. Where are you leading them to? And your family, where are you leading your family? Are you leading them to a closer relationship with Christ? At work, where are you leading people? Are you leading people to believe that promotions and money is all we need? Here at the church, are we leading people to win people to Christ? That's what we should be answering. We're leading somewhere. Where are you leading them? See, God has given us this task. He has selected you, you're here, he's training you, and he's given you the authority to be people's champion. He's your champion. He believes in you. He wouldn't send you and say, this is the only plan I have, so I'm gonna send some eh, questionable people. He believes in you. So I want you to stand as we close. Father, I thank you for the call that you have placed on my life. And Lord, I am so thankful for the call that you have placed on the lives of all the people here. Lord, I have seen it in my own life when I thought I had no clue what I was doing. You showed up and you led me through. Lord, I pray that as we close today, that the people sitting in this room right now will feel the Holy Spirit pushing them to take that next step. That they will be encouraged that where you're leading, you will supply every need. You see, we want to recognize that you have called us to lead people. And we want to lead effectively. We want to lead with you in mind that as we lead people, it will draw them closer to you, not just to know you, but to follow you. 
Lord, we thank you so much for the call that you have placed on every single life here in this room today and all the people watching online. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for being everything we need. It's in your name we pray. Amen.